Well, good morning. If you guys have been with us the last couple of weeks, then you know that we're talking about knowing and living the Word of God. And you know also that we're doing that because that is basically the theme of this letter to the Colossians that we've been studying together as a church in which Paul comes to us over and over and over again and in a lot of different ways using all kinds of different language. He says, guys, if you're going to believe, if you're going to be a believer in Jesus, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, if you're a Christ one, a Christian, then here's the deal. You need to know this word and you need to live it. And every single week I've said, okay, not just the letter to the Colossians. Certainly that's part of it, but it's just one small part of it. You need to know the Bible. You need to live the Bible. Paul is coming to us, and over and over again, he says, know the word, live the word, know the word, live the word, know the word, live the word, know the word, live the word. You're like, okay, I think I got it. No, no, you don't have it, because you flip the page, and there it is again. Okay, fine, fine, I get the message. No, you don't get the message yet, because I'm going to say it nine more times. Know the word, live the word. He's coming to us, and he's commending to us the word of God, but particularly, he's commending to us the living word of God. He's commending to us the Jesus of the Bible And the gospel of the Jesus of the Bible, for as we saw last week, he is contending for the gospel. Why? Because he's heard that there are teachers that have infiltrated this little church in Colossae who are teaching these people that he loves and over which he is a shepherd, a gospel that is no gospel at all. But how does he know that it's no gospel at all? It's easy. It doesn't square with the gospel of the Jesus of this book. This book is the standard. This book is the scale, it is the measure by which every other wisdom, truth, or gospel is judged. And this man is writing a part of this book as he goes. It's awesome. And what Paul's heard about this gospel is that these false teachers have come into this community of faith that has begun by faith in Jesus, and what they're now doing is they're trying to say, you know, Jesus is not quite enough. They're kind of coming to these people and saying, look, it's really nice that you love Jesus and all, and it's great that Jesus makes you happy and that Jesus works for you and everything, and we're real happy for you, but bottom line, he's not enough. In addition to Christ, or maybe even in place of, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you have to do this on Wednesday, but it needs to be the third Wednesday of every fourth month of the year at two o'clock, and you need to, and you need to, and you need to, and they've grabbed up all of this stuff out of the Jewish ceremonial law, and they've said, you have to do that. They've grabbed up this ascetic lifestyle that they themselves have defined, and they've said, you have to do that, and then they've grabbed up the worship of these lesser beings, angels, and they've said, and you have to do that. And that's not completely unlike what you'll hear today. People will say to you, hey, listen, it's great that you love Jesus and I'm so happy for you and I'm glad that Jesus makes you happy and he works for you, but let's drop down to the brass tacks here for a second. Here's the bottom line. If you want the favor of God, you've got to be a good person. But what does that mean? Well, you know, I mean a good person. It's a Jesus and gospel. It's a Jesus plus gospel or it's just to know Jesus and just be a good person gospel. And in either case, Paul is crying foul on it in a huge way in this letter. He's saying there's no and in the gospel. There's no plus in the gospel. And there's no other gospel but Christ alone. That's why we just saying, you know, Jesus paid it all. We didn't sing. Jesus paid most of it. And I'm going to have to pay the rest by being a really good person. I actually tried to sing that yesterday. I was going to try it for you today. Doesn't work. It's bad music. And it's really, really bad theology. We developed this last week, but do you know how God defines good? 
because it isn't the way your mother defines it. You can be an axe murderer and mom's just going to say, you know, he had an off day. (laughs) But he's still a good kid, you know, deep down. Absolute perfection is the standard of Almighty God, which means, by the way, that if there is anything deficient in the work of Christ, and if you and I have to get in by somehow being good people, we don't stand a chance. In the economy of God, there is exactly one good person who has ever lived, and that one good person is Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all and all to Him we owe. You see? And that's kind of where we left off last week, where Paul came to us, and he taught us some pretty deep theology. He's teaching us about the connection, the union that is ours together with Christ through this faith relationship that we have. When you read through Paul's letters, look for the language in Jesus or in Christ or in Christ Jesus or in God or in, in, in. He loves that little word in. He uses that little word in all of the time. He's saying that we are enveloped. We'll hear it today. Our lives are hidden in Christ. We are one with the Savior, so much so that in Christ, you lived the perfect life that God demands of you. You're like, no, I didn't, because you're thinking about adolescence. But here's the thing. You did live it, but you lived it in Him. He lived it for you. It's credited, however, to your account. That's gospel. And if He lived a perfect life for you, let me ask you, what do you need to add to that? Can you add to perfect? In Jesus, Paul said, your sins, every single one of them, past, present, and future, were suffered and died for. They have been completely punished and taken away in Christ Jesus in his sufferings and death on your behalf. And so, therefore, if they've all been taken away, what else is there to work off, you know, by being a good person? Oh, yeah, and you have to be perfect to do that, so it's kind of disheartening, isn't it? There's nothing left. Jesus paid... Well, all of it. See, in the death of Christ, you died to your flesh and to the corrupt desires of it. In the resurrection of Christ, you were raised to a newness of life. Paul teaches here and all over the place that in Christ, you are a new you, and you're a new you now. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, you know that one. And Jesus, you're a new creation, he says. The old is gone, the new has come. You're going to hear language like that today. But what's the problem with that language? The problem with that language is we come to faith in Jesus, we go to bed, we wake up the next day, we look in the mirror, we look the same or worse. I notice that I'm not getting better looking as time goes by. We get on the scale, we weigh the same or worse. We have the same struggles. We have the same issues, the same insecurities. We walk out into our little world. We've got the same problems. We have to live with the same bad decisions that we've made. The hard drives of our hearts are full of all the same crud that they were the day before. We're subject to the same weaknesses, to the same, same temptations, to the same sin. So are we new or not? Well, the Word of the Almighty God says that we're new in Jesus, and then it says, and now you need to, live, or need to learn to live like the new people that God in Christ has created you to be. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But I want to tell you how to do it, okay, just like in a nutshell. It's going to be simple. This is memorable. You're going to know this. Here's how you do that. You know the Word, and you live the Word. That's it. 
You commit yourself to that process. And you mature. And you're transformed. And you grow. You take the Jesus of this Word, in whom we saw last week are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And He shares them in this book. And you store it up on a daily diet in your heart. You make deposit upon deposit of wisdom and knowledge, wisdom and knowledge, wisdom and knowledge, wisdom and knowledge. And and then when you need wisdom and knowledge, guess where it is? It's in you. And the Spirit is there to call it to mind, to teach you, to lead you, to speak to you. It's how the Lord speaks. It's through this book. You let the Spirit of God shape you and mold you and change you through the revelations of this book. And then in a community of other people who are on this same faith journey that you are, by the power of that same Spirit and for the glory of that same Jesus, you begin to try to live out the precepts and the teachings and the wisdom and the gospel of this book. How do we become the people that God and Christ has created us to be? It's know the Word, live the Word. And so that's where we pick up our study again this morning in Colossians 3, verse 1, where Paul says this, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, and so if in him you have lived and died and been buried and then have been risen from the dead, right? You're the new you, okay? If you're really that new you, he says, then you need to seek some new things. He says, seek the things that are where, because it's a key word. It's a word of contrast. He says, seek the things that are above where Christ, who is your life, death, burial, and resurrection, is located, seated at the right hand of God. He's saying, look, if you're going to start living like a new you, you need to begin to seek some things that are new. And let me describe those things for you, Paul says. They are things that are above as opposed to things that are below. Well, what are those things? Well, he's going to tell us in a second. Those are the things of this earth. They're the things of this world. He's telling us something about the things of this earth and world as opposed to the things of heaven where Christ is in whom you are by faith. And he's saying, guys, they're below They're below in significance. They're below in importance. They're below in value. They're below in glory. And hey, you know what else? They are below and beneath the dignity of the worship of your life. And yet, what do you worship with your life? It's part of the transformation. There are things above and things below. And Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, if you're really new, then start seeking the things that are above where Christ, who is your life, death, burial, and resurrection, is seated at the right hand of God. And then he says, set your mind on things that are above. So there's that word again. He can't get away from that. He wants you to think in those categories for a minute. Set your minds on things above and not on things that are of this earth. Why? Because you've died and your life is where? It's hidden with Christ in God. And where is he again? He's up there. He's above, you see, as opposed to below. And he and his kingdom and his agenda and all that is him transcends everything down here. He's saying you're not an earthly person anymore. You're a heavenly person through this connection with Jesus. And you need to begin to seek the things of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the character of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, the wisdom and knowledge of Jesus, which I think we've talked about this, but you find it in this book. It's in this book. He says, set your minds on things that are above, 
not on things that are on this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And then he says, and when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And how could it be otherwise? In him you lived, in him you died, in him you were buried, in him you were raised to this new life in which you are to seek the things above and not below. And so then when he appears in glory, how will you not also appear with him in glory? And when you appear with him in glory, it's going to be evident to everybody just how much greater the things above are than the things below. And all of us to some degree are going to wish that we had sought more of the things above and less of the things below. He's calling us to seek things that are greater. You have to seek the things that are greater. So to that end, he says, you need to put to death. Verse 5, put to death, he says, therefore. So seeking things above apparently means putting some things to death. And what things do we put to death? Well, the things below. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly, and where is it? In you. And in the event you're wondering what kinds of things he might be talking about, he gives us a non-exhaustive list, some illustrations, you know, some stuff like this. And he gives us this list not to run through, but to stop and pause and think about and take in and actually give the Spirit a moment to say, um, <clears throat> yeah, that one. We love to run through these lists. They're like genealogies. We just skip to the bottom. Okay, the list began. At, yeah, okay, what else does he have to say? Don't miss the list. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And in case you're wondering what I'm talking about, Paul says, let me give you a little bit of a list. There, actually, he's going to give us two. List number one, sexual immorality. Pause. Think about it. Take it in. And ask, you know, is the Spirit saying something to me on that? Is that in me? Then he expands it. And he says impurity, like of any kind, is the idea. Don't rush by. Passion. I will tell you the most intelligent people on the planet do the stupidest things in moments of passion. And every one of us have done it. People trade their families, they trade their businesses, they trade reputations that they've spent 30 years building in a moment of passion, overriding their intelligence, overriding their logic, overriding everything that they know to be right, throwing it all away in a moment. And for what? Put it to death, Paul says. Evil desire covetousness, which is idolatry. You're dissatisfied with what you have, you want what they have, okay? And then when you get what they have, you're dissatisfied with that, and then you want what, what they have. And then when you, want, you get that, then you're dissatisfied with that. It's, it's just it's a never-ending cycle. He says, guys, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, he says, the wrath of God is coming. All right? So, if I had asked you, what is the strongest possible language that he could use to speak to those issues? Could you have come up with anything bigger than that? What does the wrath of God bring? Think about the story of the flood for a minute. I know that we're all focused on the ark and the people in the ark and the animals in the ark and how did they do this and how did that happen and, you know, where is the ark today and we read all the... Just stop with that. What did the flood bring? What about Sodom? Not a lot of sermons on that one. Are there? It's uncomfortable. What happened there? 
What about Joshua? Almost never hear sermon series out of the book of Joshua. Do you know why? Because Joshua takes the armies of Israel into the land of Canaan, and under the command of God, these people in the land of Canaan are under the ban, the curse of the Lord, and they wipe everyone out, man, woman, child, and even the family dog. The animals. It's disturbing. It really is. Now think of the cross where the Son of God absorbs the wrath of God and is punished infinitely for every one of the infinite transgressions of all who trust in Him. What does the wrath of God bring? It brings death. What is Paul saying? He's saying, guys, put to death what brings forth death in you. He's not asking us to put to death good things. And death comes in many forms. It's not always a physical death. It's not always a spiritual death. These things that he just listed for us, death of marriage, found in so many, if not every single one of those. Death of relationship with your kids or parents or friends or siblings. Death of finances. Death of reputation. Death of conscience. Death upon death upon death. Paul is not lining up a bunch of things that are really good for you and saying, okay, now you just need to give all this up. He said, no, 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 no. Let me tell you what the things of death are that are naturally, natively found within you. And let me tell you now that if you are a new person in Jesus, you need to systematically begin to put these things to death. And he gives us a list to remove remove any confusion. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. It's a thing below And he says, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. He says, in these you too once walked when you were living in them before you came to faith in Jesus. That's the old you, but it's not the new you. He says, but now that you've been made new, you must. He speaks with mandatory language. You know, I find that when I read through all of these passages, the Lord rarely makes suggestions. Have you noticed? I mean, seriously, He doesn't come and go, you know, I've been thinking about this. I don't know, what do you think? It might be a good idea. He's trying to kill what is the cause of death in you. He's trying to get you to live like the new you that, that the Lord has created you to be. And he's saying, you must do it. You must put them all away. And then he gives us another list just in case you got missed in the first list. And so he says, anger, wrath, malice, slander. I think gossip there. And obscene talk from your mouth. See, he's speaking there of your mouth, the last three. Slander, obscene talk, and then what? Lying. Do not lie, he says to one another. Seeing that you have what? Put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed, how? In knowledge, after the image of its creator, and that knowledge is found in this book called the Bible. So he's saying, look, now that you're a new you, you need to begin to live like the new you, and that means putting things to death, it means putting things away, and it means putting things on. It kind of reminds me, by the way, 
of what he says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. It was probably read at your wedding. But listen to what he says and look for the word child here. It's something that you can relate to. It's, it's a process that everybody understands. He says, when I was a child, I what? I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. We've all been children. A lot of us have children. Almost all of us are around children all the time. We understand that there is the way of a child that you progressively grow out of. You mature spiritually, you mature physically, you mature emotionally, you mature intellectually, you mature in all of these different ways, and through that process, you stop playing with trucks and dolls. There is a foolishness of youth that you leave behind as you mature. That's the process that he's calling on here. He's using this as an illustration, which when I was a child, well, I did the things of a child. I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But here's the deal. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So the gospel calls for us to grow up. to grow up. You know, there are people who have been believers for 40 years who are still nursing, uh, you know, on binkies, spiritually speaking. You got the little mobile hanging over you, you know, (laughs) playing the nursery rhyme. It's not good. There are people who have been Christians for three months who are graduating out of the crib already. They're growing up. They're learning to toddle around. They're committed to the process. Put to death the childish ways of your former lives. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, when you come to lists like this, stop putting your fingers in your ears and going la, 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 figuratively speaking, because it just cuts a little too close for you. Grow up, Paul says. And why? Because he wants to spoil all your fun? No, because he wants you to put to death what brings death in you and replace it with the word of life. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. I mean, how much stronger can he say things? In these, he says, you too once walked when you were living in them before you came to faith in Christ, but now that you've been made new, you must put them all away. Mandatory language, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, saying that you have put off the old self, kind of like you would an old coat. It's the image of clothing. I mean, you can hear that, right? You take it off. You hang it up in the old closet. Put it on its hanger. Stick it in the old wardrobe. In your former life, he's saying you were clothed in other things, in lesser things, in things below, not things above. But now that you've come to faith in Christ, you've got a brand new wardrobe, all of which is told you about in this book. Seeing that you have put off like an old coat, the old self, and stuck it into the old closet with its old practices and have put on the new self, the new shirt, the new tie, the new coat, the new blouse, the new dress, the new shoes, the new stuff that is now yours and available to you in Christ. Brand new wardrobe, he's saying, and which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, Paul says, in this in Christ new wardrobe you 
There are no longer any of the things that divide us. And that's part of what changes too. He gathers up what in his culture were all the dividing walls, ethnically, racially, socially, and he does away with them. He says here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Christ gathers up a vastly diverse group of people in every sense, and he makes them one. He makes them family, brothers and sisters. No preferences, no divisions. And so then he carries forward this image of clothing and he says, put on then. You hear it, right? Put it on as what? God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now what do you put on? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. How was that? That was sacrificially and fully. And above all these, he says, put on love like an outer garment that sort of holds it all in. Wraps it all up. He says, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, though you're very diverse, and be thankful. Paul is saying in some sense, you know, every morning you wake up and decide what you're going to put on, and not just physically, but spiritually too. And where he's challenging us is he's saying, look, the the truth is that a lot of us, we still get up in the morning and we walk right past the brand new wardrobe that is ours in Christ. Walk right by it. And we walk over to the old wardrobe as though nothing's changed. And we pick up and we put on the same old stuff like a dirty old coat. We put on sexual immorality. We put on impurity. We put on passion. We put on evil desire. We put on covetousness, which is idolatry. We put on anger and malice and wrath and all of the sins of the mouth. Slander, obscene speech, dishonesty. We put it on and we wear it all day long and it's comfortable, but it's not who we are anymore. He's saying, guys, you're ignoring the wrong wardrobe. You're walking past the wrong set of clothes. Put on the things of Jesus. He says, put on then, and then he says, and I love this, as God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved, which means, by the way, that if what you put on in the morning when you get up is, you know, you wear like the shirt, figuratively speaking, that says worthless on it, because that's what you got from an ex-husband or wife. Or maybe the shirt that you put on says will never amount to anything, and depending upon the size of the letters, it actually goes under your left arm and across your back. You got that from mom or dad. Or maybe it's mistake, or maybe it's reject, or maybe it's failure, or maybe it's, what is it? Paul's coming and going, look, good news, new clothes. Try this one out. How about chosen? I mean, if you've ever been a kid on a playground, you know how valuable it is to be chosen, don't you? You want to be picked for the team, man. The Lord God has chosen you for his team. You got to just sit in that, wear that all day. 
What about holy as opposed to filthy, as opposed to guilty, as opposed to dirty? No, holy. Rest in that. And how about beloved? Of God, the most significant person in the universe. He says, put on then as God's chosen people, holy and beloved, what? What do we put on? You heard it already. Compassionate hearts. Wow, what a difference that would make. But he's not done. Kindness. Consider the change in your life with that. Humility. Meekness. And patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. It's a costly process, but it results in life. And above all these things, he says, put on love which binds everything together. It holds everything together. It's the outer garment that keeps everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. But we still haven't answered the question of, okay, how do I do that? I mean, okay, how, I, I get the idea. Seek things above, not below. Put things to death. Put things away. Put things on. But what does that look like? It's know the word, live the word. Listen to what he says in verse 16. He says, let the, what is it? Let the word of Christ do what? Dwell in you richly. Live in you abundantly is, is what that means. And it's dynamic. It's active. It's interactive. It's an ongoing all the time kind of a thing. It's a daily, I'm storing it up, I'm putting it in, and guess where it is when I need it? Here it comes. The Spirit brings it up out of the the caverns of my heart that I've filled up with the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge of Christ. Let the Word of Christ dwell, live abundantly in you, is the idea. And then he says, teaching and admonishing who? One another. So, now, wait a minute. Now he's not just talking to us as individuals. He's talking to us as a community. It presupposes community that we would do that. He's saying, take this journey together with other people who are also committed to this journey. People that hopefully you get to know well enough so that when you get up in the morning and put on worthless, they can come up to you and go, hey man, I think you're wearing the wrong shirt today. Let's go to the wardrobe. Let's talk about things like chosen. Let's talk about things like holy. Let's talk about things like beloved and a million other things. A thousand other shirts that you could wear. Or maybe they come to you and they say, one-on-one, I think you've been wearing sexual immorality around, or passion, or evil desire. And look, here's the deal. I'm not just here to tell you that. Okay, hey, I've noticed. I'm here to do whatever it takes to help you get out of that shirt, to take that off and to replace it with the wardrobe of the Lord. Put to death what is death in you. And that's death in a hundred different ways. 
So Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Know the word, he's saying, and do it in community, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do. Okay, so now he's talking about how we live. Whatever you do, he says, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So how do we learn to live like the new people that God in Christ Jesus has created us to be? Short answer, know the word, live the word. Store up the treasures of his word in your heart. Let the Spirit speak to you and mold you and shape you through the revelations of his word. And then in community with other people who are committed to that same journey, take the journey and by the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to live it out. And in doing so, grow in your relationship with Christ. You become more like Him. It's transformational. So know the Word, live the Word. And with that in mind, I want to close by challenging you guys with a couple of questions, okay? Number one, are you committed to gathering on Sunday mornings regularly, like part of the rhythm of your life, like I plan things around this, like I make this a priority for me and for my family? Because believe it or not, this is a really big deal. It's part of that transformational process. You come in, and whether you know it or not, the liturgy of every worship service here is a replaying, it's a reliving, it's a reenacting of the gospel story. We relive the gospel story together as the people of God every single week, and every week we sit under his teaching. Are you committed to that? Because, you know, I mean, it's the beginning of a year. It's a good time to make a commitment like that. Number two, are you plugged in to a community group? where you'll then take these studies that we do on Sunday mornings and you'll dig more deeply into it. We expand the studies through our community group studies and all of that stuff. But here's the thing. Hopefully, hopefully also, you'll get to know people. You'll be intentionally vulnerable enough to get to know the other people in the group to the point where eventually anyway, if it looks like you're wearing the wrong shirt, somebody will be there to help you with that. Have you found your place in serving? Have you completed the find your thing, do your thing exercise that we make available to everyone that will help you figure out how it is that God has uniquely positioned you in this season of your life to invest in the things above? And lastly, have you taken the BTAT, the biblical and theological aptitude test, and actually practice that? It's kind of fun, okay? I mean, it's really cool. It's a little revealing. It can be a bit humbling. But it will help you figure out what class to plug into, 101, 201, or 301. We had so many people at the 301 class. I had a couple people come up to me with tears in their eyes, people that have been here a really long time. It was awesome. And we welcome you to get the book, do the reading, and jump in anytime. And I challenge you to do that because that's the challenge to some degree of this letter, and it's the challenge of the entire year at Rio. It's know the word, live the word. Know the word, live the word. Know the word, live the word. And in doing so, be transformed progressively, just like you grew up, into the person that God in Christ has created you to be. All right? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for uh, this process that you lay out in your word. God, we praise you for your word, which is life. Lord, we thank you for the way that it speaks to us directly. 
God, we thank you that you hide nothing from us that is necessary for faith and obedience, for growth and for life, that you give us the gift of the treasures of your wisdom and knowledge. We thank you for our Savior. Lord, we thank you for one who is perfect, to whom we can be united in faith, to one who suffered and died for all our sins, the only one who really ever could do such a thing. And we thank you for the new life that is available by faith in him. God, speak to us through your word as we gather today. Reveal to us in plain language in ways that are unambiguous exactly what you would have us do by your spirit. God, make us people who know your word and live it, that we might be transformed into the people that you have called us in Jesus to be. We pray these things for your glory. Amen.